Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. Today we have an awesome guest with us, Naveen Jain. Naveen has an incredible background. He's the founder of Infospace, Intellius, and others. So and now Naveen has the small goal of reaching the moon. And uh, yes, that moon in space. And so he is the founder of uh, Moon Express. And their big news recently is that they received permission from the U.S. government to travel beyond Earth's orbit and land on the moon. And it's the first time a private enterprise has been given approval to do that. So it's big. And I, I think that's how Naveen thinks. So, and that's why I brought uh, Naveen on the show, because we could spend the entire podcast talking about Naveen's background, but I really want to focus on what he's doing now and his thought process and his advice for all of us and, and what he needs to do to land on the moon. So, Naveen, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, it's a pleasure and an honor. <laughs> great, great. And uh, so, yeah, could you just give us a brief overview of your background before we're talking talk, talking about what we're doing well, now? Yeah, I think, you know, instead of my spending time yeah. on myself and my background, let me just go ahead and say, you know, uh, you know, landing on the moon is not about just literally landing on the moon. To me, it's really symbolic of what entrepreneurs are capable of doing. And I think to me, what surprises me is that this is something only being done by the three superpowers. And when we land on the moon, imagine that we become the fourth superpower to do so. And what that really means is that going forward, the next set of superpowers are not going to be the countries like Germany or France or UK. It is going to be the group of entrepreneurs uh, finding amazing uh, problems to solve and going out and doing them themselves. So whether it is a someone listening to this and getting inspired to say, what is my moonshot? Would I go out and solve, find a cure for cancer, cure for Zika or cure for Alzheimer? Whatever that happens to me, we all are now capable of doing so. And the reason it is that now the exponential technology is making the things cheaper, faster, and accessible to everyone. So in fact, if you have a smartphone in your pocket, you have now more processing power than the computer that landed a man on the moon. And in fact, you have access to more information than President Clinton had as a president. <laughs> and that tells you that now all of us are connected. That means, uh, you know, as individuals, before only the rich people had a way of getting their ideas sent to everyone else. And everyone else was simply a consumer of information. And I think with this, with the bi-directional communication, every one of us is now becoming the producer of ideas. So any single one can go out and create a podcast. Anyone can go out and now do the things that they wanted to get their ideas across. So a great innovative idea coming from a farmer in a village in India can now be heard across the world by a farmer in Africa who can implement exactly the same ideas. So we all say, hey, two minds are better than one. Imagine the seven billion minds connected together trying to solve the problem. Is there any problem that's large enough that seven billion minds connected together can't solve? And to me, that is really the potential. So let's use the landing on the moon as symbolic of what we as individuals are going to go out and do next. 
See, and that's, that's why I brought you on. You're quite uh, inspirational. And I, we all need that a little dose of that every day. And, uh, <laughs> well, it's actually, you know, it's not about just being inspired. The difference between an entrepreneur and everyone else is that as humans, we are so used to thinking about uh, the problems. And if you are somehow a visionary or a intelligent person, you may even have a solution. But entrepreneurs don't bother about that. They just go out and do it. To me, the execution is the key. So it's not getting inspired that matters. What matters is you getting your ass off the damn couch, listening to it and going out and say, I'm going to go out and do it. And, and okay, that brings me to my next question is how, you know, what made you want to, um, you know, think about landing on the moon and then actually go out and do it? And what were the, the kind of your initial steps to make that happen? Uh, like, well, you know, again, yeah. going, so going back to it, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, in a very, very poor family in India, came to the United States with absolutely nothing. And to me, it is about what showing it that anyone can go out and dream so big that people think is absolutely crazy. <laughs> but that craziness is what allows you to move the societies forward. So I would say there are two things that we could all do when I think our world will be a better place, which is to dream so big that people think you're crazy and never be afraid to fail. Just remember, as an entrepreneur, you never fail. You simply pivot. Every idea that does not work only becomes a stepping stone to a bigger success. So never be afraid that your idea may not work because by the time you try that idea, you will come up with 10 different ideas and one of them may just, will work, just may work. Gotcha. Okay. And so have you been interested in space for a long time? You know, again, uh, you know, every single company that I have done has been in a different, uh, different yeah, industry. Yeah. And I always believe that once you become good at or expert in something, you can improve it incrementally. That means uh, once you say, I'm really, really good at it, you can definitely improve it by 10%, 20%. But if you want to improve something 10x or 15x, the only way to do that is to really think from a perspective of a non-expert. And that means think about the problem from a very different perspective that most people have taken the foundation for granted. And once you challenge that foundation, you will find that the things you're doing could be 10x or 15x better. Hmm. So what, what's an example of that with Moon Express? How are you going to do, well, do 10x? Yeah. So, for example, in the past, there were only these people thought of going to the moon was really building a massive rocket. And these rockets were 40 story tall, like Saturn. And um, our whole thought was coming from a software side was, can we build modules? And each module does a job. And now, most innovative thing that we have done is, our rocket that we are using is owned under $5 million. It only goes to low Earth orbit. Wow. And then we built our own lender that costs substantially under $5 million to go from low Earth orbit all the way to the moon and land on the moon. That would have never been possible uh, before. So I think just the approach of saying, hey, you really don't need to build a massive rocket that's going to cost you hundreds of millions of dollars. You can start to use the low-cost parts, uh, low-cost sensors, and off-the-shelf things and put them together in a way that has never been done before. And... A business, and what makes it amazing is it makes it a great business, right? So if I could rephrase John F. Kennedy, it will be 
we chose to go to the moon not because it's easy because it's a great business and great business is what makes an entrepreneur really happy gotcha and and what what's the business part of it i i, I know you talked about mining so, minerals but yes well, obviously, there are many, many parts, yeah. but think of it as going to the moon really is the first stepping stone for humanity becoming a multi-planetary society. So whether we chose to uh, live on the moon or we chose to live on the Mars, the problem we have right now is we are on this spaceship called Earth, and it's flying around the space with a single point of failure. <clears throat> so imagine if an asteroid were to hit a spaceship, the whole humanity will get wiped out. And if you don't believe me, ask the dinosaur. I'm sure they're rolling in their graves and thinking, <laughs> why didn't have an entrepreneurial dinosaur who could have taken them off the planet and they would still be around, right? Yeah, yeah. But that to me really is that how do we go out and take care of the single point of failure? And there is, you know, even if you decide that Mars is a better place to colonize, what is best is to learn to live off this planet. And uh, that means, you know, same set of problems, high radiation, wide temperature differences, and does not have the existing infrastructure or ecosystem. So I would rather be a lunatic being three days away than be a Martian getting stuck for six months. So it's better for us to really learn to live on uh, moon, on the moon, and then see how do we apply that to the Mars. So I think in the long term, the right business is, to be able to use the resources on the moon and figure out how do we, how are we able to live off the resources that are already there rather than having to take all the things from planet Earth. And one of the beauty of the moon is that, you know, it has full of water. And the water really is the oil for the space economy because water means hydrogen and oxygen. That means rocket fuel and a fuel for humans. And that's what makes it amazing. Mm. And of course, there are a whole bunch of things you could do. You could bring back the platinum grade material, rare earth elements, or helium-3. And as you know, the helium-3 is the best clean energy source. And it can power our planet for generations to come. We can even bring the you know, moon rocks back. And I really believe the moon rocks could, be, could replace diamonds. Because at the huh. end of the day, diamonds are neither rare on earth, and nor they ever used to be as a symbol of love. Until 1950s, when DBers basically launched this marketing campaign and essentially made that symbol of love. Guess what? The moon has been a symbol of love for centuries. We all know how many songs and poetry have been written about the moon and the love for the moon. <laughs> so what if we brought the moon rocks back and simply changed the marketing and said, you know, everyone gives someone a diamond. If you love her enough, you give her the moon. Don't promise her the moon. Give her the moon. And the girl simply gets up and says, hey, I'm not going to marry you for diamonds. I thought you loved me. Because if you loved me, you would have given me the moon. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. I, uh, yeah, you sold me. Yeah. Um, and also, same thing, by the way. When you start to take people to the moon, then yeah. you say, look, honeymoon is about taking your honey to the moon, huh. not honey Hawaii. You can do honey Hawaii anytime, but you want honeymoon, you have to take her to the moon. Oh, man, that's good. I like it. Yeah. Okay, so you, I think you, you think differently. You think a little differently than uh, most entrepreneurs in, in a good way. I mean, and so, can you take us through? By the way, one more thing. I was oh, yeah. going to, go ahead. One, let me just go one more thought on the business side yeah, that yeah. I think you will really enjoy. Yeah, is that you know it? You know, you and I can think of a hundred different applications that we could do while we are on the moon, and many of them can be whether it is you know really 
uh, whether it is the lunar rocks uh, replacing diamonds or could the footprints of the people on the moon or could it be that could we take the people's ashes to the moon. But the fact remains, you know, when iPhones first came out nine years ago, Steve Jobs, if Steve Jobs were to go and ask everyone, hey, what kind of applications would you like on the phone? I seriously doubt anyone would have said, hey, I would love to throw the birds at the pigs. But that's exactly what they did playing Angry Birds for years and years, right? What is the Pokemon Go of the moon? You and I would not know until someone shows it is possible to land on the moon, it's possible to communicate from the moon, and it's possible to make it accessible and affordable to go to the moon. What is the Pokemon Go of the moon? We will, some creative entrepreneur will figure that out. And the best part is since we own the underlying infrastructure, we will be part of the value system. Yeah, you're essentially creating the, the moon platform, which is, uh, yeah, after that, the sky's the limit as far as what could happen. Interesting. Okay. Well, well, no, 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 no. You're wrong. You're wrong. Oh, the sky wrong. is not the limit because oh. <laughs> the sky is nothing but a figment of your imagination. How can the sky be the limit when we are going to the moon, young man? That's true. All right. That was not a good example for this. <laughs> good point. Uh, all right. So, yeah, like I was, like I was gonna say, you know, you think a little, you think differently than a lot of entrepreneurs I know. Well, most all, and so you know, if you, I'd love to hear your thought process. Like, you came up, how did you come up with the idea of going to the moon, and then what were your steps to actually like kind of look into it and figure out, hey, we could actually do this for maybe ten million dollars to build a you know a rocket and a lander, and then how do you get the team? I'm just curious how you put the pieces together because you you know you said execution's key, but uh, yeah. I think it is really is people want to be associated with uh, great dreams. People want to be associated with great inspirational things. People want to do things that actually impact society in a positive way. So if you are able to show people that all these things are possible to do, then they will come together to make your dreams come true mm-hmm. or make their dreams come true. So I think finding a team is simply about being a good leader and allowing them to be at their best and showing them what is possible. Uh, in some sense, when we started, we had we had no idea what would happen in the future because we, there were many reasons we could have stopped from starting a company. First reason would have been, hey, we're never going to get a permission from leaving the for leaving the Earth orbit. Has never been done. There is no department to do that. How are we going to ever get that? Right? Or even if we got the permission and landed there, how the hell would we know that we can bring back something we get to own because the law is not there? Guess what? Here we are six years later. President Obama signed the law last year saying that anything we bring back, we will get to own. And here we are, have a permission to go land on any celestial body. So point is, there are many reasons to say no to something, only one reason to say yes, which is because you believe that you will cross that bridge when you get there. When we started, we thought the cost of the mission may be $100 million because there were no other small rockets. But we also knew, being on the board of Singularity University, that how exponential technologies are making the sensors and 3D printing is making the manufacturing so much cheaper. So we knew by the time we were ready to go, there will be plenty of technologies that will reduce that cost. For example... You know, the same same systems that are being used in the autonomous car like LiDAR, which is exactly the same system we're using on a lunar lander. And the cost of that used to be one and a half 
million dollars and now it's 1500 dollars mm-hmm. so it is really coming down the same thing that's making our iphone cheaper faster and thinner is exactly the same sense as we're using in our lender the same 3d printing that's making all the things possible is making the rocket cost to be under five million dollars and imagine as we start to build the reusable rockets the cost marginal cost will be simply the cost of the fuel and that's it and that means the cost of these rockets will come down substantially. That means the cost of access to space will come down significantly. And by developing the expertise, which is the last mile solution of landing on the moon and being able to build applications on top of that, suddenly will become very valuable. Just like once the internet infrastructure was built, people were able to build the Facebooks and the Googles on top of that. Interesting. Gotcha. And so what's your what's your timeline? So we are going to be launching uh, launching next year, and the Q4 of next year is our current plan to essentially land on the moon. Wow. Oh, wait, and what, what's the year to land on the moon? Yes. Yeah, Q4 of next year. Wow. All right. Yeah, so not that I far love, away. That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing and uh, interesting. So how how big is your team? So our team currently is 35 people, and it's going to be going up to 50 people by the end of the year. But really, again, this is the beauty of the thing is you don't need millions no. of people to be mobilized to do so because, you know, a lot of the things are now off the shelf. A lot of the technology is well understood. It sure is a rocket science, but it's a well understood rocket science. Interesting. And, and so, and you know, as part of the execution, you know, how do you, I can imagine there's a, many things that go wrong, could go wrong. How, you know, how do you think through and plan for all the different scenarios? Well, first of all, you can never plan for every scenario. It is about finding the most brilliant people and allowing them to be on their own. And I think most leaders and most managers, where they go wrong is they believe, oh, I can only take the horse to the water, but I can't make it drink. (laughs) What they don't realize is they don't need to do, make anyone do anything. Your job is to make the horse thirsty. And once you make the horse thirsty, it will find the water and it will drink. So point is giving that intellectual curiosity, allowing them to feel that, you know, it is their mission and giving them that thirst for success, the thirst for knowledge is what allows these people to take, go an extra mile to make things happen. Because it's not your job to take them to water and make them drink. It is your job is to give them the chance to make them be thirsty. And, and I'm curious how, you know, this is a big uh, public goal you stated. And uh, from, I think, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs get nervous that they're going to fail and it'll be kind of humiliating. And, you know, you got, you put yourself way out there, which is, you know, very impressive. So how do you... You know, over the years, how have you learned to kind of deal with that pressure and not worry about it? First of all, failure only happens when you give up. Everything else is simply adaptation. Mm. So your ideas may or may not work, but you as a person never fail. Because the day you give up is the only day you say, I have failed. And if you're constantly adapting, your ideas are constantly changing. But doesn't mean you are failing, right? So I think from that perspective is that I think you should always try and learn and adapt. And every company goes through a near-death experience. And I can tell you that if you go through every successful company, almost all of them went through a near-death experience. 
Apple was almost a dead company. And, uh, you know, the company that saved it was Microsoft and Bill Gates because they didn't want to be considered a monopoly. So they went and gave, the, they invested $250 million in Apple to save Apple. Yeah, Oracle, by the way, uh, almost went bankrupt in eight. I, I mean, Facebook was really at the, you know, in some sense, Mark Zuckerberg will tell you, did not know what to do with Facebook, right? Every company that is widely successful has gone through the near-death experience. And a great entrepreneur, really, when you are persistent and comes out of that near-death experience, is what makes you valuable, what makes the company valuable, right? So I think, uh, you know, the only other way of looking at it is that don't you know, it's not about you being optimistic or pessimistic, right? So it's not about you thinking this glass is half empty or this glass is half full. It is really about thinking, do you want to fill the glass? And that to me is really the way entrepreneurs should be looking at is that what is it I care for this glass to be, not what it is, but what I want it to be. That means don't worry whether the glass is half empty or half full. Ask yourself, do you want to fill this glass? And if yes, with what? And that's it. Hmm. Right. I like it. And and so yeah, take that and kind of your advice further. You know, we before the interview, we we're just chatting. And you yeah. mentioned uh, something about uh, making about circles and making sure that you're not going around in circles. And yeah. uh, you know, and I've never heard that before. Can you share what you what you told me? And uh, sure. have a few more questions after that. Absolutely. Yeah. But absolutely. But what I was saying was that you know, a lot of people get so busy and think just because they're busy, they are moving forward, they're making progress. And sometimes we all, if we are running in a small circle, we can see that we are running in a small circle. Sometimes when the circle is slightly bigger, we think we are moving forward without realizing that we are actually in this bigger circle and without actually making the progress. That means we are not moving forward, we're simply going round and round. And I really think, uh, you know, it's, it's because we get so caught up in a day-to-day stuff and we forget the bigger picture of what is it that we're trying to do. That means finding the true purpose, finding that, you know, it's not about each one of us, whatever the daily task is, whether I speak, interview people, whether I do podcasts, that is a means to an end. And knowing what that end is, what is the purpose that you are going after? And then every single day, you, when you go to bed, you spend five minutes reviewing your day and say, am I better today than I was yesterday? And the better could be, am I better intellectually? Am I better emotionally? Or am I better spiritually? And if you believe you have not, you're not better in either of the three dimensions, then you have to pray to the God and say, hey, God, give me strength mm-hmm. to do twice as much tomorrow than I did today. So at least I'm making progress moving forward. Oh, I like that advice. And, and have you been doing that for many years? Many, many years. Many years. I actually, I start my day in the morning with three to four minutes just thinking about uh, what I want to be doing today. And every single day before I go to bed, I find the things that I'm thankful for, the gratitude, and really reviewing how am I better today than I was yesterday. Hmm. And I really think it gives you a lot of perspective in life because happiness is a choice. Happiness is not something that happens to you. It's a choice you make uh, every single day. If you decide you want to be unhappy, you can find 
10 reasons why you should be unhappy. And if you want to be happy, you can find 10 reasons why you should be happy. So that's a choice. No one else can make you happy or unhappy other than yourself. Interesting. And, and a quick side question that I want to make sure I get in. Do, so do you want, Please. so how, how soon would you want to go to space or to the moon? Well, I mean, I believe that we will be going to the moon uh, as humans in the next 10 to 15 years. And I would absolutely love to go to the moon and put my footprint on the moon. And I just can't wait. I can't wait for the Virgin Galactic <laughs> to launch. I can't wait for Blue Origin to take me to space. I mean, I would love to go and see the planet Earth this entirety oh, yeah. of the globe. Oh, man. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that was half the reason I wanted you on this because, yeah, I always see images of Earth and it's like, oh, it'd be amazing to see that in person. This would be amazing. Yep. Um, and that's what probably inspires you every morning and, and well, at night. Yeah, it is. It does. It does. And, but, you know, interesting thing is, it's not about going to space because we are already in space. It's just a matter of perspective. If you were living on the moon, the Earth will look like space, right? So we we live on Earth <laughs> and we think moon is the space, right? It's all relative. Gotcha. Okay. So this uh, this mission the next year and for the next uh, ten years, it'll just be essentially robotics, right? Collecting samples and collecting the uh, going correct. to the moon. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and do you have any? I mean, it sounds like you guys are almost ready to go, but any further tech hurdles? Uh, is there anything that you really need to like hammer down on in order to make this happen, or is it uh, is the technology there? No, I think the technology is all there. Now it's just simply heads down and uh, and making it happen. That means making sure the finances are ready to be able to raise the rest of the money that we need to raise uh, and to be able to go out and just do what we need to do. There is no more technological hurdles here. It's all, at this point, heads down business. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And is... Um... And we're almost at the end of the interview here, unfortunately, because I could talk about this stuff all day. But uh, and and uh, yeah, it's fun talking to you. So uh, and uh, you know, is, are there any you know parts parts of the mission where you know are the most dangerous, or the most susceptible for something going wrong? That, or is it? The, I mean, I imagine the whole thing is pretty much susceptible for something to go wrong, but. Well, not really. The hardest part to be honest, is really the landing. I mean, you know, okay. landing on the moon is not very difficult. It's a landing softly. So the point is that is always that things can go wrong because when you, you are completely at that point are uh, in the control of the machine, you can't control the lander when it's going down with the gravity of the moon. That means it has to know where it is. It has to slow down itself. It has to know how far away it is from the surface and land nicely and softly. And, you know, it, it, that is probably the most difficult part of the whole mission. And that's why even when NASA landed on the Mars, it was called the seven minutes of terror. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Um, well, I think, uh, unfortunately, it just about does it for us. Um, well, well, thanks a lot, David. Really appreciate your taking time. And let's continue our conversation some other time. Yeah, that sounds great. I really appreciate Naveen and your thoughts, Thank experience, you. your energy, and thanks everyone for listening to our episode of Flyer Labs.